0: Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you, we'd love that opportunity after the service. We are going to be talking about generosity this morning as you've heard and as you've sung about. So if you uh, have a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Ephesians, and then we're going to be reading also from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 and verse 9. I'm I'm throwing in an additional text uh, reading for this morning. So how about that for a topic of generosity? You're already getting more than you bargained for this morning. Uh, I'll be looking at Second Corinthians 9, 7. So, um, as I said last week, we're taking uh, this month to uh, just kind of hit a few topics that we need to talk about as a church. And uh, before we start our winter-spring series of uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer uh, beginning in the first week of February. So... Um, Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word, found first in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And then on over to chapter 9, verse 7 of Second Corinthians. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we come to you at this time. Uh, we need you uh, desperately um, to open our eyes and our ears uh, to uh, the way that you have been generous to us so that we may see how we are to be generous uh, to the world uh, with your possessions and your things. And so at this time, would you do that through your spirit? Would you teach us something more about what it means to be a generous people? Uh, Because you are extremely generous, and that in that way we may be imitators of you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Back in 2015, 2016, a couple by the name of Jeff Kaufman and Julia Wise, you might have read about them, they made headlines across the the globe for one reason. They were insanely generous. The couple reported living off of just 6% of their income, giving up to $100,000 away each year. To quote whomever needed it most, they, they said. In an earlier article written about the couple's generosity, they had this this to say, we have what we need, so it makes sense to share with people. That's what Wise said uh, to uh, the today.com article. Um, Wise, a social worker and her husband, a computer programmer, they they plan on passing the philanthropy bug onto their daughters now, two-year-old Lily and six-month-old Anna. And this is how the article ends. We hope they will grow up thinking this is a normal part of life, Wise said. In an age where Americans donate approximately 2% of their disposable income to charity, Jeff and Julia are committed to extreme generosity as a way of life. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about giving. And I'm not interested in getting you to live off of 6% of your income, though if you want to and can, great, go for it. Um, what I am interested in is getting us to see what it's like to make generosity, sacrificial generosity at that, as Wise said, a normal part of life. And you might be thinking, as I say that, great, I tithe. What's more normal than that? And that's good. Tithing is certainly something a part of our generosity, but Scripture never reduces our generosity to just tithing, and certainly doesn't reduce it to 10% of that. And David Mathis questions the church's tithe in general in an article that he wrote for the Gospel Coalition back in 2016 titled How Your Habits Show and Shape Your Heart, where he reports that U.S. Christians, probably broadly evangelical, though the richest people to walk the face of the earth in this day and age, give away less than 3% of their income. In other words, the non-church world in Kauffman and Wise, the philanthropic philanthropic world, if you will, is living off of twice of what the U.S. Christian Church actually gives. Now, the world knows this. It sees this. And in my opinion, it's a huge barrier for even considering why join the church to begin with. But that's another sermon for another day. But we know that just by being philanthropic, that doesn't make you a generous person either. Living off a 6% of your income doesn't necessarily make you generous. Generosity, according to Scripture, is ultimately a heart issue. Which is why generosity is not measured in dollars, but dollars what? They tell us a lot about what we value. You might say it shows us our heart. Which is why Michael Rhodes and Robbie Holt, in their wonderful book, which I commend to all of you, called Practicing the King's Economy, rightfully connect the lack of generosity in the midst of overwhelming affluence as being both a cause of and a result of our idolatry, the worship of our money. In other words, dollars, time, work, what those things always flow towards our loves. That's what they're saying. Now, here's the good news for us this morning. Jesus is committed to making you and me more generous. Let me say that one more time. Jesus is committed to making you and me more generous as a new creation. Jesus has come not just to die for us, but to transform this heart of stone that it was naturally a taker into a giver. That's what he's doing in you and, and, and what he's doing in me. And he's doing this in the ways that when we do give generously, because we are generous, and perhaps maybe it's, it's moments when you find yourself giving more than you think that you can and you do. And as you do that, you sort of experience this weird confusion or this weird combination of, of, of uh, confusion and joy in the midst of that. And you wonder, when's the next time I can do that again? That's Jesus working in you. It's Jesus transforming you into being a generous person. Rhodes and Holt put it this way, when we give, the Spirit inhabits our generosity and works to reshape us in the image of our generous God. And they go on to say, Jesus doesn't give us a thermometer to measure the temperature of our hearts, but a thermostat to change the temperature of our hearts. And that, friends, is our aim this morning. I'm not interested in, uh, you know, guilting a bunch of people to go around giving more as if that is a biblical form of generosity. What I want is for your heart to change because that's what Jesus wants. And that's what he's in the business of doing. And so the question before us is how do our hearts change so that generosity, friends, sacrificial generosity actually becomes a normal way of life for us? And to do that, we must look at the why we give and the how we give. I've thought about this sermon more as if I was going to say anything as, as to what a foundation might be for generosity for for a church or for, for you know, anybody. This is where I would have to start, and more specifically for myself. So that's what we're doing. So let's look at that. The how or the why and the how is printed in your bulletin. So first, the why. And before we get into that, we need to ask the question, you know, and look just briefly, why is generosity hard? And, and this is never a claim to say that we're never generous at all, but, but I think we understand that generosity, especially as we see it in Scripture, is, is difficult, it's challenging. Why is it challenging? Well, there's a number of reasons for that, that I think it's worth our time just sort of highlighting and exposing. In his book, Free of Charge, uh, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace, Mirosol Volf, uh, who you'll be hearing a lot from today, says this, says, derivative, finite, and selfish in all our generosity, that's the kind of givers that we are. And Wolf roots this, as we'll see later in how Paul describes the old and the new self, just the chapter before in Ephesians 4. But his point is clear. What makes generosity hard for us from the get-go is that sin has made us fragile And afraid creatures, not loving and generous creatures. Generosity, then, is no longer something we come into the world with. And you know this. We have to be taught generosity. And so perhaps like learning a second language from our native tongue, being generous is difficult. It's hard. In one sense, generosity, uh, sacrificial generosity, feels like a death. And maybe it should. Because in order for us to move in the direction that Christ calls us to be generous people as His new creation, we have to what? Die to ourself. Die to that old self and the new self takes over. But even once we have learned the concepts of generosity and have even tasted the reality of the saying that it is far better to give than it is to receive, we still find it hard to give. And one of those reasons, the second reason would be that we just we know the world. And therefore, it's hard for us then to love and to be generous because we know it. In his book Stephen Gar- by Stephen Garber and Visions of Vocation by Stephen Garber, he asked the question, can we know the world and still love it? And what he means by this is like in any relationship, the more you know someone, the more you learn about who that person is, the what? The harder it can be to love that person. For those that came from or came home after Europe in World War II, And after the discovery of the concentration camps and all that they had saw, they knew something about the world that made it very difficult to love the world. That's what he's getting at. Sometimes we know too much, and it makes it incredibly difficult to be generous. And so instead of moving out into the world sort of, um, you know, in freedom, we tighten the reins and we live more out of distrust and suspicion this is what he means. Can we know the world and still love it? And this is one of the reasons why it makes generosity difficult. A third reason is that for some of you, your generosity has just simply been taken advantage of. You've been generous. And to what end? Right? You've been lied to about what your money is going to or what your time and efforts are going to. And that has caused you to also live out of suspicion and fear. There's many more of these, but we get at this. All of us can understand that, that there are many reasons like these. That causes us to to see generosity, sacrificial generosity at that, as to being difficult and challenging. So what do we do? Well, how does our heart change if any one, if not all of these, are true for us? And that's why we have to first look at the why behind our giving. So the why behind our giving, as we start there, Paul in Ephesians 5.1 calls us to be imitators of God. And who is God but a giver? As Sinclair Ferguson writes... Everything Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden was a gift from God, to be enjoyed and shared. for God so loved the world that He gave. John 3:16, and even in James, when we read about in, in chapter five there, when he asks us to, to ask God for wisdom, he literally says there, "Ask the giving God." For these things. What is God but a giver? And so, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, we are to be imitators of this God, and that includes his generosity. Paul has listed before this many ways that we imitate God in our kindness and love, but it's more than just imitation that Paul is after. If we just imitate, we will either give reluctantly or we'll become some sort of robot, which is neither the the Bible's view of, of generosity which is one of joy, that we would be cheerful and joyful givers. So first, I want to suggest that we have to see our giving as identity. All right, We have to see our, our giving as identity. Why we give must begin with seeing who we are now in Christ himself as a new creation. This is giving as, as identity. And when I say new creation, I mean because the resurrection is true. And because Jesus, King Jesus, is reigning on his throne right now. And because the Holy Spirit is, is living inside of you and is making you into this new person. That's what we mean by new creation. Right? It is not a situation where we are saved and that we just go on with our life and wait for God to do something. Something is happening now. That's the new creation which you find yourselves a part of. You are the inauguration of this kingdom, once Jesus resurre- re- after Jesus' resurrection and his ascending into heaven it is going on now. And so, first, that is that is what I mean by when I say giving as identity. This is who you are. <clears throat> Our family's been watching a ton. Maybe you have two of the BBC Planet Earth. And it's awesome, uh, which is why we, you, know, you should watch it. But when you watch that, this stuff, when you see all of, of what is going on around this planet and its creation, you're seeing creation acting in accord with what its nature. You're, you're seeing this all the time. You're seeing what boa constrictors constrict. Why? Because that's what snakes do. You're seeing lions and you're seeing you know, coyotes right, hunt because that's what predators do. You being a new creation says, you now give because that's what the new creation does. It's in your, it's in your nature now because the Holy Spirit is residing in you. Volf puts it this way. We are these new selves and that's why we give. We do not give mainly because God and our God's God or God's messengers, excuse me, command us to. Instead, we give because we are givers. Because Christ living in us is a giver. Why we give now is an identity question. It's not a matter of should or should not. I. It's a matter of how and of what. Because it's who we are now. And in this way generosity becomes what quote unquote wrenches our economic practices away from idols according to Rhodes and Holt. And our hearts begin then to be reshaped in this new creation kind of way. In this Uh, uh, Sacrificial generosity kind of way And when we give much like in our work from last week We are saying something about the god we serve as imitate or as image bearers Our generosity tells others something about the god that we serve what he's like who he is and who we are becoming That's identity that's image bearing work That is who you are now But what's the real motive here, you might be thinking? I get that's who I am now, but I'm not fully comfortable yet in my new clothes, so to speak. What's the motive? And this gets to the second sub-point there as to why we give, and that is because God first gave to you. This is ground zero for our motives in giving. Paul commands us in verse 2 to walk in love, as you see, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That is motive. Our motive to give is never, this is what I ought to do. This is what I should do. Our motive to give, whether it's time, money, work, talents, is always what I like to call a mini conversion. Yes, once saved, always saved, irresistible grace. Believe all that. But when I think about giving generously in any capacity... The only reason I should do so is because I truly believe that Christ has already what? Given Himself to me. And when I do this, I am preaching the gospel afresh in this new context, which means I am learning new ways to trust and believe in God all over again. A mini conversion. And as I trust, I am actually becoming more of who I already am as a what? New creation. Becoming more comfortable, as it were, in my new skin, in my new identity as a believer. Will this be painful? Absolutely. Absolutely. But ultimately, giving because Jesus has given himself to us becomes the power with which we begin to push back against the default of fear that we all reside It's that fear that makes me a taker. It's that fear that sends me back into the comforts of the old self. It's that fear that enslaves, that says, I like the old man. I like those clothes. They seem to fit well, and we all know they feel more comfortable. That's what fear does for us. And the power to push back against that, though, is what? It's looking at Jesus And seeing how he became poor, so that you might what? Become rich. As 2 Corinthians tells us, this is our motive, which is love. So before we move on, how often am I reminding myself that I don't have to fear? That I am a new creation. Generosity can now be my default. It can become what? A normal way of life. So how often do we say to ourselves what Scripture, friends, is already saying about you? You're free because of what Jesus has done for you already. This is why the gospel message is never inspirational, or at least it shouldn't just be something we go to for inspiration. The gospel is always, what, transformational. It is new self, old self, old self, new self. It is light and darkness. Inspiration might lead me to be generous at times, but it will not make me a generous person. My heart must be changed, which is transformational work, new identity and motive. This is what's behind the why that we give. So let's move on to the how then, how we give. How we give has everything to do with how we see God giving in Scripture. And how does God give? God gives freely. He gives freely. And this is a tall order as Paul's asking us to be imitators of God, right? He calls us to give freely because God gives freely. When we look at creation, God is under no obligation to do anything. And he's under no obligation to give, which is why the church has always said that, that God creates what? Ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's not that nothing was something and he made it into something. There was nothing. Another way to say that is that God gives freely. Another way to say that is to say that it's voluntary, which is how Paul praises the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8 for their giving. They gave what? Freely, voluntarily. But why is freedom and giving so important? And the short answer for that is love. Volf contends that the gift consists more in the freely undertaken choice to give than in the things given. This is why when you were a child and you drew a terrible picture of a horse and wanted to give it to your mother, she still has it. And she, maybe it's framed, I don't know. Um, and, and, and then years later, when you went back and looked at this thing, like you even felt embarrassed yourself as to why anybody would hold on to this thing because it's terrible. That's what it means to give freely. Your mother loved that, not because the drawing was great, because of the way you gave it to her. Freely, freely, because you wanted to. This is how God gives to us. And we see the full expression of this freedom as Jesus goes to the cross. And in John chapter 10, he says, no one takes, takes it, takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. That's freedom, All right? He gives freely to us, and we are to imitate that. Well, how? Two ways for you this morning. Stewards and channels. Stewards and channels. And this is really more an attitude or posture towards our giving, towards our generosity that begins to shape us. Generosity as a normal way of life will always look like stewards and channels, okay? First, we receive and we give whatever it is that we receive and give as stewards of God's gifts. In other words, we receive what's not mine to begin with, and we give it because we recognize that it isn't mine ever. Sinclair Ferguson writes, the key here to generosity is to learn that nothing is our own. All is the Lord's. We are not owners of anything, but stewards of everything. This is our posture Or our attitude towards giving, this posture then forces us to ask the question, how do we look at our possessions? How do we look at our things, our talents, whatever it is that that God has gifted us with? And do we take those things No, do we hold them tightly? Or is our posture one of holding them loosely? Seeing yourself as a steward of those possessions changes our attitude and our posture towards them. Right? This is why we also talk about giving and generosity, not just individually, but also in the context of community. We need people, other stewards, speaking into that. How are you managing God's economy? Right? Is a, is a uh, what was going to say, an appropriate conversation right, that Christians need to be happening to, having together. But this is our starting place, though, for how we give. We give as stewards. Second, though, we give as channels. Which can also be considered the blessing or the means of giving. As channels, Volf writes again, we exist not just to enjoy things, but to pass them on. Our purpose is twofold, to flourish ourselves and to help others flourish. And we saw this in in our Abraham study back in chapter 12 of Genesis, where God said to Abraham, You're going to, or I'm going to bless you, which is him flourishing, but you're also going to be a blessing to the nations. That is the flourishing of others. That is how Abraham ultimately will become a channel of God's blessing. Too often, though, we think of the gifts that God gives us as something that stops with me. Perhaps you've been given the gift of, of music. Right? Or maybe you've been given the gift of a great education, or you've been given the ability to make money, right? or to uh, fix cars, whatever it might be. That's God blessing you, yes. But it's easy to think that that gift stops with you. But God intends, as he did for Abraham, for you to be channels of those gifts. So that others might experience what the joy of God as the great gift giver. So that others might flourish. But these two have to go hand in hand, friends. They have to go hand in hand. You won't be blessed, as it were. You won't experience the full joy of the gift unless you are also being a blessing or a channel to others with your gifts. In fact, the Bible calls withholding our gifts, stealing this, is, this might be a new one for you, I don't know, but question 11 in the New City Catechism, which the 5th and 6th grade gap class on small group Sunday nights is going through and loving, by the way. Um, our 5th and 6th graders are. Uh, we read this one. It said, uh, this is the New Catechism, uh, question 11. says that stealing isn't just taking what is something uh, someone else's. It's also withholding any good from someone we might benefit and so what we learned that night was that we came in thinking we weren't thieves and we left realizing we are all thieves, which is great. Then we returned to Jesus and his grace. But this is why, uh, why, why, we go, why, why the scriptures go so far as to say that, look, stealing from people isn't just the process of taking, it's withholding. It's denying being that channel of God's gift to you, or of God's gifts to you. So what does being a channel look like for you where you are? I think it's a question for us this morning and see, this is where generosity becomes way more than just what I do with my money. It is an attitude. It is a posture. One note, yes, our generosity will be taken advantage of. right? And we will manipulate through our generosity. Which is to say, and to remind us always, that Jesus intercedes for both our good and our bad generosity. All the time. Perfect motives then are not the goal at this point, friends. But a posture and attitude of this ain't mine, but thank you. That is the goal of generosity. Legendary jazz musician John Coltrane in his album A Love Supreme is all about this. The inside cover of the album reads, In 1957, I experienced a spiritual awakening. In gratitude, I humbly ask to be given the means and privilege to make others happy through music. I feel this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. This album, A Love Supreme, is a humble offering to him. An attempt to say thank you, God, through your work, through our work, excuse me, even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues. Not only is John Coltrane a channel with his gift of music for others, but he's getting at the heart of generosity itself. That it is nothing more than yours and my ability to say thank you. Thank you for dying for me, for giving your life to me. Thank you for for considering even, let alone doing, becoming poor so that I might become rich. This, friends, is the why and the how of generosity. I'm Leave you with an article that I came across in the Baltimore Sun of all places, um, and in this it was a story, uh, one of these uh, just amazing gener- generosity stories that we love to read about, where <clears throat> a lady named Felicia uh, Ikpum from Nigeria, uh, she was, um, uh, she's, she's in she's in Nigeria, and her son Mike is is uh, graduating. <clears throat> Uh, from college in John, at John Carroll College. Excuse me, I'm trying to get all the, the details right here. Um, and with graduation looming, um, her son uh, graduating uh, there uh, in the States, uh, Mike's teachers and classmates thought his mother should be at the ceremony. Um, and But, of course, she, she wasn't going to be there because the funds and a lot of other things going on at the time. And so they got together and they just talked. You know, we wanted to do something valuable for one of our classmates it was really how this started. Um, And so uh, knowing Mike's mother couldn't afford the plane ticket or hotel, the school raised $1,763 to bring her over. Mike's mother traveled 12 hours through terrorist-held land first, then to make the flight. And the article ends, and and this is is beautiful, uh, what was her reaction when she laid eyes on her son after four years? Quote, I screamed and I shouted, and you can hear her saying it. Friends, the goal of generosity is not to guilt you into acts of kindness and generosity, such as buying someone a plane ticket. That's why I share this story. Although, if you can do that, you should do that. That is great. The goal of generosity is seeing that on the cross, Jesus gave us himself so that he could, what, be with you so that you could be his eternal sons and daughters, as it were. And it's knowing, though, that the cross, is essentially his response, one of screaming and shouting as he lays eyes on you, as it were, that says you're loved. And it, in that moment, it pushes back against our fears. This is what changes our heart towards generosity, towards giving. Isn't this why, <clears throat> well, Because what is happening in that moment between Mike and his mom, when he sees her reaction, his being loved was not in question. And for that moment, Mike had all that he needed. And isn't this why when we watch these amazing videos of veterans coming home and surprising their family, right? You can't watch those things and not melt there, I mean, I have to turn it off now because I'm just going to start crying when I start watching these things. Why, why is that? What is that? It is seeing love that is not in question. And it's longing to know that love and experience it forever because in it, you lack nothing. Maybe you felt and experienced that at times in your life. But this is what changes our hearts. And Jesus, what the cross is trying to tell us is his love for you is forever. You have it. Because then and only then when we know and experience the love Jesus has for us, we will feel secure, lacking nothing. And friends, that is the that is the moment when generosity for us can become a normal part of our life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scriptures to us and we thank you that you are trying so hard to tell us that we are loved and to show us that we are loved and i pray that we would see that at the root of our of our idolatry is the fear that we are not loved that we are not secure would you remind us and show us in ways that only you and your scriptures can of the deep love that you have for us the screaming and shouting love that you have for us because you are overjoyed of what it means for us to be together forever. And in that, in that, would we experience the security of knowing we lack nothing so that in this life, we can give everything. We can be imitators of you with our time, our talents, our funds, our resources because these things are not ours. We are stewards. We are channels of these good things as a testimony to how good you are to us. We thank you for this. We ask that you transform us as we leave here to be people of generosity. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.